You are listening to Special Features, the only podcast on the internet that dares to discuss popular culture. And today, <laughs> my dear friend Alexi Topoliopoulos, there's something we need to talk about. We need to talk about Kevin Smith. My dear friend Cameron James, I agree, we do need to talk about Kevin Smith one last time. We need to. We just simply must talk about Kevin Smith. For the third and final time. <laughs> if it is our mission to talk about popular culture, what is more popular and culturally significant than the third act of Kevin Smith's career? Mm. That's true. Hopefully, uh, there's it's not the last act. I mean, no. my I think that there's more in the guy. I think so. I think we're seeing a rare seven-act structure in, the, in a guy's career. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a hero's journey. Um, it's exciting because the first time around we talked about early Kev, mm-hmm. you know, the Clerks era. Second time around, Kev went Hollywood. I'm mm-hmm. talking Clerks 2. Clerks 2 Third two time era. around. <laughs> third time around is an odd, an odd one because mm-hmm. he steps away entirely, becomes mm. his own thing, and then circles his way back to the beginning. It's actually quite beautiful the way that his life has been structured around the Clerks movie. There's a third fucking Clerks movie this time around. It is crazy, right? And especially, I I don't think there's another filmmaker in our time that has as fascinating a career. And Mm. I'm using that word deliberately fascinating because, you know, we have been really, uh, alongside many people in our age group, really invested in Kevin's career because he has met us all at different points. And and when I say met us all, like he's actually out there interacting with his audiences. He's making- You've actually met him. I've actually met him literally, but also like he's, you know, he's making podcasts or should I say smodcasts. And I feel like he is, I mean, there's not another filmmaker that has done that podcast yeah not another film goes on podcast but especially to that degree where it's like he's (laughs) literally in a communication with his audience he's like nurturing and holding his audience for better or worse but mostly for better because i think it's built him up to have really direct link with who they are and like with who he is yeah i'm glad you said for better or worse because there's in this next phase that we're about to discuss today, I think we get both of those extremes mm-hmm. uh, for better and for worse. Mm. Um, and this is not a diss on Kev. We've no. gone on the record many times. We like Kev, but there are some choices that he makes that are almost too catered for his audience. Mm-hmm. And the casual fan or perhaps a first timer doesn't really get uh, like an. Uh, an easy way in to some mm. of these movies, um, yeah. if you know what I mean. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's interesting because there's some experimentation, there's some stuff of him trying to do really bold choices, but then there's a lot of just catering to what he does and what he's been known for and, like, literally, literally catering to what he does and what he's been known for and mm. really just making stuff for this small audience of diehard Kevin Smith fans. And I think that is definitely because he's got access to them. He's understood them. He's been in communication with them through the podcast. He's used that in clever ways. He's used that in really, really smart ways. But then also just 
at times it feels like just feeding them. And I yeah. think we're kind God, of- I wish she started a catering company. Like, that would be awesome. <laughs> that would be li- literally was feeding people. <laughs> If he just had all these little fans just taking a spoon at Comic Con <laughs> like a mass, giving them a ladling little... ladling <laughs> soup or something, <laughs> ladling a lovely movie soup around to the mall, taking well, it over. There was talk of a movies franchise popping up at one point, wasn't there? Yeah, I think that time has come and gone, though. I think that. I think so too. But <laughs> but there was, I swear to God, there was a time where he was saying like, "There's going to be a movies location in New Jersey or something like that." Um, which, like, imagine making the pilgrimage to get the world's shittiest burger from the God. world's ugliest franchise. Yeah, but I know some people that would be there, and their names are Cameron and Lexi. We would absolutely go there. I 100% would go. I'd be saying that to my wife on a holiday. <laughs> We're doing a live like, podcast at movies. Yeah, we need to go to movies, and then we need to go swing past the quick stop, mm-hmm. and then we need to go next door and get some weed from that weed emporium that's next door. <laughs> going to the quick stop, kissing the ground, and going, I was meant to be here today. <laughs> <laughs> I was put on this earth to be here on this day. Look, we're referencing clerks right now, but I think we need to start at the beginning of this third act, which actually is an attempt at him to divorce himself from clerks. But in a weird way, it's going about it the same way that he created clerks, which is making an entirely independent film. Um, Red State is what I'm talking about. I think it's self-financed, isn't it? It was self-financed. Yeah, self-financed. Because... Yeah, so he kind kind of does the clerks trick again, but it's an entirely different genre and a different vibe. Um, it's like this weird yeah. horror exploitation film that he had in mm. his head. He knew that he wanted to kind of take a new approach or try something different. He had been soured in against Hollywood uh, during that last period that we speak about where he makes Zack and Miri make a porno, which doesn't do as well mm-hmm. as he as it should have. And he got felt really scared, like he felt that he'd ruined Seth Rogen's career with it. And then along comes Cop Out which was not a good experience for him. It bombed really badly. He was kind of, this term gets thrown around a lot. And I don't know if it, de- it applies directly to this, but it was kind of a bit in that director jail, like not being, not really knowing what next could be there. So it was like, well, I've had this idea. I've been working on this script. I'm going to make Red State. It's a completely different vibe, completely different feeling, con- completely different, uh, I guess, like completely different approach to the film as well. It's not a comedy. Uh, it's it's satirical in a way about the Westboro Baptist Church, Fred Phelps, mm. the Waco siege, a lot of like these like really uh, highly charged, gruesome things. And... What he he can't get it financed. I think he was working with a Weinstein company back then. They don't finance it, so he gets like two private investors to join and make this movie for about four million dollars. And it was a humongous story because it's a big filmmaker changing what he's doing, and the cast attached is insane. Michael Parks mm. as the kind of Fred mm. Phelps analog, John Goodman, mm-hmm. Melissa Leo right after winning her Oscar for The Fighter, Michael Anganaro, yeah. uh, Stephen Root is in it, and our favorite Kevin Pollack mm-hmm. is hanging out in there, basically yeah. doing his <laughs> Kevin Pollack thing. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, it's nuts. Um, and uh, I remember loving this movie. I remember like being excited mm-hmm. at its existence. You know, just being a bit pumped on the idea of Kevin branching out and making horror or action adjacent films. And I was like proselytizing this fucking movie mm. when it came out. I was telling everyone, you got to fucking check out Red State. Kevin Smith is like on the verge of becoming an entirely different filmmaker. It's so exciting. Uh, I'll be honest, I haven't revisited it since then, but you watched it this week. Yeah, I've seen it. Does it hold up? I don't know. It didn't really work for me this time. I remember, like, you loving it when it came out, being so excited for it. Like, the Mm. buzz around it was freaking electric because he got it to Sundance and it was like a real coming home because it was 17 years Mm. after Clerks. He'd come back with the same approach. He talked about how all his other movies had been minor studio movies. And this is the first time he'd gone back to his roots, talking so inspirationally, Mm. being like, a lot of my friends and peers had been had stuck in their indie roots and in their indie cred. I haven't been a starving artist for a long time. I'm going back to doing that. And that's mm. so inspiring to see someone so established do that. He takes it to Sundance and he's like, I'm going to sell the movie at an auction in the theater after the premiere. <laughs> and then he comes out with Wayne Gretzky's, right. <laughs> Wayne Gretzky's hockey stick and gives this whole big speech about how he wants to be an artist and being in the industry has given him this business mindset. He has to think about mathematics so much, but that's now ingrained in him. So he thinks he can do it on his own. He sells himself the movie for $20 and then they basically take it out on the road show with this film. He does road shows. He goes, utilizes the podcast audience he's built up to basically sell it out. And people talk about like it's a bomb, but I don't know how it can be a bomb if he was like literally taking in the money of doing a roadshow. And then I guess it gets a smaller release later where it probably only needs to make like a million dollars anyway, because the marketing was all done. Like it was a mark. It was an absolute example of marketing genius on that small uh, indie level. So uh, I'm, I'm looking at the, uh, I'm looking at the Wikipedia for it now, budget of 4 million box office intake of 1.8 million mm-hmm. is does that seem legit to you i mean like was it a bomb because i in my mind this was a fucking hit how, how can that be i reckon it would have made most of its money on that road trip run that road show mm. run so probably just was like oh, okay we can put it out in cinemas now mm. and there's so much buzz around it that doesn't need to make that much money but I revisited it this week and I'd seen it probably last maybe six, seven years ago. Mm. And even the stuff that I loved the first time didn't really work for me. Like, you know, he talked so much about Michael Parks being this great actor and he is a great mm. actor. And his colleagues, Quentin Tarantino and like Robert Rodriguez, were obsessed with Michael Parks at this time, being like, this is the great mm-hmm. actor that's unsung. And. This time watching the movie, I felt like that performance was really one note and it probably is really like accurate to like Fred Phelps. I mean, it's a long time since I'd seen anything from Fred Fred Phelps. I don't go watching mm-hmm. his fucking YouTube or anything to like see, oh, how accurate <laughs> is this performance uh, or like what is it going for? <clears throat> but mm-hmm. there weren't as many textures and layers in it as perhaps say something in a similar vein that comes a few years later, Patrick Stewart in Green Room. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a very special performance um, mm. from Patrick Stewart. 
But also maybe it's a little more exciting to us because it's such a cast against type mm. role. Um, we're so used to Patrick Stewart as either like Professor Xavier or mm. <clears throat> if you're a Star Trek guy, the Star Trek guy that he plays in Star <laughs> Trek. <laughs> but the Michael Parks has played villains and um, we've seen him in Tarantino movies and Rodriguez movies playing essentially baddies or mm. like morally ambiguous people. So it's not that much of a stretch. I still think in my memory that it's a good performance and I'm going to cling to that because I actually, I'm on board with QT. I think mm. Michael Parks is an unsung great. Yeah, it is captivating when he's giving like his sermon, but there's a point where you're just like, oh my God, this is like five hours long, it feels. Like the movie feels quite <laughs> long, it's only like 80 minutes, but it just doesn't have the layers or the textures or a revelation or anything like that, something to kind of keep you interested in it. It's a dark, mm. it's a grimy movie. It's got some really interesting moments, some it's got a great cast. Like, it's an unbelievable cast for this film. But for me, mm. its cultural impact was completely significant. But since then, my interest in the actual movie has kind of waned. But then, since then, I've been going through the last batch of films that he's made after this. Have you explored this modern era of Kevin at all? Uh, I mean, I think I've seen... Most of them, uh, I mean, there's it's an odd time because he does it, doesn't he retire at some point around here? He claims that he's no longer a filmmaker, he's now a podcaster. Mm -hmm. And, um, but then through the podcast, his smodcast, which by the way, I never listened to, I know that's sacrilege in the oh, uh, podcast community, but i I was never. I never got in early on the Smodcast, and mm. it's too late to Way go deep late. on that shit now. <laughs> but, yeah. But um, <clears throat> but I know that through the podcast, <clears throat> he comes up with the premise of his next film, Tusk. Yeah, I just watched Tusk for the first time because it had loomed large over my life. I'd never listened to that podcast either. And mm. I just thought, okay, what is this? It's gross. It's weird. It is purposefully weird. And sometimes that can be a bit of a turnoff as well of like someone trying to make something edgy or strange or mm. I guess silly. Like it's quite silly. But I don't know, man. Like- this guy has got his fucking hooks in me. I, I enjoyed my time with Tusk and I preferred the Michael Parks performance in Tusk as this kind of mm. like mad lunatic uh, <laughs> hidden in the freaking Canadian Rockies who is a bit of a Mr. Frankenstein, if you will. Not a doctor. <laughs> I don't think this guy's a Dr. Frankenstein. He's a bit of a Mr. Frankenstein. <laughs> if you're not familiar with Tusk, basically uh, Justin Long and Haley Joel Osment play podcasters. They have a podcast called the not C party, not to be confused with the uh, Nazi party, 
But it is mm-hmm. a play on that, and it gets them into a lot of strife whenever they have to say what their podcast is called. A lot of humour <laughs> is derived from that little <laughs> that little line, um, and they they basically interview and talk about weird eccentricities and strange things on the internet and stuff. They're real blowhard types, and Justin Long goes to Canada to meet this guy who basically uh, was like the Star Wars kid in those videos who plays with a lightsaber, but he actually cuts his leg off with a katana and he gets bullied mercilessly and then he commits suicide when Justin Long is there and he has to go find a new story. He comes across this guy who basically has all these stories to tell. He goes with him and then the guy slowly turns him into a human walrus hybrid by skinning him and placing his bones in new ways and the whole premise is about this guy becoming a freaking walrus. It's got a bit of like a psycho film structure, like the Alfred Hitchcock movie Psycho. I don't mean crazy, like the movie Psycho. Mm. And I don't mm. know, there was something in there that I kind of, I don't think connected with, but I just enjoyed it more than I thought I would. Again, I saw this when it came out. Mm-hmm. Again, I haven't revisited it, but I remember being so psyched for it because... The premise was so enticing and insane to me. And also there was the whole story about how it it, allegedly this begins life as an ad that they find on Gumtree that Mm -hmm. Kevin Smith and Scott Mosier find on Gumtree and they discuss it on their podcast and then they put a call to arms out to Kev's Twitter followers (laughs) to, to either tweet Hashtag Warus yes or hashtag Warus no mm-hmm. if they want to see him turn it into a movie. And I guess enough people write <laughs> hashtag Warus yes. <clears throat> so he turns it into an entire script. Um, I was very enticed by that. The idea mm. of almost like uh, fan, it's pure fan service, like just going out pure. to an audience of like, hey, do you want to see me make a movie of this? I mean, it's pretty exciting. It's kind of a cool way to do it. But um, but I will say, like, it, it left almost no footprint in my brain. I've never even thought to revisit this movie. I've never... I haven't really thought about it since then. The only time it's ever occupied my brain is when I all of a sudden remember that Johnny Depp is in this movie. Mm, um, as his signature role of <laughs> Guy LaPonte, which he returns to perform once again in Yoga Hoses. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, like, it's sort of, to me, like, it, the idea of the movie is stronger than the movie itself. Um, and I'm, I love that it exists, mm. but it almost could have just been a 20-minute short on Kevin's website, and that would have mm-hmm. been enough for me. I don't need it to be a feature film. Um, and I also, yeah, I just, I, I also was like so grossed out by the end of the movie that I <laughs> never wanted to see some of these visuals again, if you know what I mean. I mean, the creation of the wars itself, it's a horrible-looking yeah. being, which I guess it, yeah. it is what it's trying to be. It's trying to evoke this <laughs> feeling of this this guy being transformed to, uh, to a walrus, where he's more walrus than man <laughs> yeah. by the end. But yeah. I don't know, man. I really thought I would hate this movie, but I, I got Mm-mm. something out of it. I don't know what it was, but it was something. Do you think that, like, there could have been a... Because this is allegedly the beginning of this 
new Canadian horror comedy mm-hmm. uh, trilogy that he's making, the True North trilogy. So mm. far, I think there's only been two in the trilogy. Yes. The next you- one is apparently Moose Jaws, which uh, mm. I'll be honest. Right. Okay, so it's Jaws, but a moose. Yes, that's the whole premise. And you know that I have a soft spot for It's Jaws, but a genre. Yeah, Jaws exploitation. You don't mind that. I do like um, that. I love Alligator. Razorback's awesome. I like mm. Rogue. I like uh, I like so many of those movies. Dark Age. I guess mainly the Crocodile ones is the ones that I like. Is it the, um, like, does the horror work for you more than the comedy in these, these, this new Kev? It's a really good question because it's hard to say because I think one thing that I've come to realize in this new batch of Kevin films, and I think we can probably go deeper on it when we return to the familiar franchises, uh, mm. maybe this is a great way to jump into them, is- We're about to, I think. I think the comedy doesn't work for me that much anymore because I think mm. that there is a, a, almost a juvenile sense of the comedy, which is something I've always loved about Kevin. I like his juvenile sense of humor mixed with this sentimentality sure. and stuff. But I think the lot of the comedy has become too, not just self-referential, but only referential to just yeah. like what is popular right now or what is happening. Mm. And I think that's so apparent in Jane Silent Bob reboot, which- Oh my God. I will tell you, all the sweet stuff I loved. All the sweet sentimentality and revisiting old characters. Uh, Jason Mewes, I think, gives a great performance as Jay in Jane Silent Bob reboot. I really mm. loved like his relationship with uh, Harley Quinn Smith, yeah. who plays <laughs> his daughter in the movie. I found yeah. that so sweet of Kevin channeling his Millie Millie Falcon. Yeah, Millie Falcon, great name for the character. <laughs> I found all that really sweet. I thought the uh, the touching points with chasing Amy with uh, mm. Jason Lee and especially yeah. Ben Affleck coming back, the Ben Affleck interaction is maybe a high point of all Kevin Smith in the late era for me. I thought it was really yeah. moving and lovely and I thought it, I felt so tender towards it. Man, I mean, first of all, I just want to quickly acknowledge that, yes, we are skipping over yoga hoses. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, I want to say that I haven't seen yoga hoses. I don't know if you have. I've not, and I never will. Oh, maybe I will one day. (laughs) Who knows? um, This experiment is over with this episode, so I don't need to keep watching them. But, I mean, it's in my future. Probably the same day I watch Mordecai, I watch yoga hoses. (laughs) Well, the Johnny Depp double. (laughs) (laughs) the johnny depp (laughs) character double yeah um i haven't seen yoga hoses i I just wasn't that intrigued by i don't know like horror comedy it has to be fucking next level for me to really give a shit Mm -hmm. and it didn't really draw me in okay but i will say i did watch jay and silent bob reboot i mean it came out in 2019 i i probably watched it like the moment it became available for streaming mm-hmm. um and it didn't land for me mm. i hate to say it um sort of bummed me out i in preparation i had watched jay and silent bob strike back again 
And the first thing I noticed when Reboot began was just how cheap it looked in mm. comparison. Um, it's just crazy watching like digital films versus like anything shot on film, even if it was a weird mid-budget studio comedy from the 2000s. You can just see how like much better things looked back then. Mm -hmm. And I think what you said before about him kind of only referencing his previous works, that really bummed me out. But I do agree with you. I liked the Chasing Amy uh, element to it. I liked that it kind of tied that story off a little bit. I liked seeing Justin Long appear as his um, Zach and Miri character. Mm -hmm. Again, um, there's a little Matt Damon possibly playing Loki. Um, <sighs> that was moment. my low point of the movie, Matt Damon. It's, it's an interstitial. It's not connected to anything. It's just like yeah. It's like when you watch Austin Powers and you go, "Oh, cool, we're seeing Ming T play for fourteen seconds as Austin dances." <laughs> it was like that for no reason and doesn't set up any other interstitials. It's just like an ad break coming into the movie where Matt Damon, yeah. as Loki, makes the longest winded freaking born identity pun I've ever heard in my life, which is <laughs> insane to say in the year of our Lord, who is Kevin Smith, 2019. <laughs> I found that to be so annoying because all there's so much humor in this that is literal winking to the camera. And yeah, I yeah. like it's, and I don't think it succeeds in getting away with how knowing it is that you're like, mm. oh yes, we're cheesily knowingly winking at the camera, but it's just so constant. Like there's the only time Silent Bob speaks uh, is to freaking perform a riff on the Glen Gary Glen Ross monologue from Alec Baldwin mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. like Ku Klux Klan. And you're like, what is going on? <laughs> what is this? And I found the Silent Bob characters to be not as fun as before because. He's doing. He's trying. He thinks he's like Charlie Chaplin or Buster Keaton. Now he's papping away on his phone to like show emojis when he have to emote. And I don't know, but I would say I'm really torn on it because the sweet stuff and some of Kevin's writing was so beautiful and nice. Like I well, love. What's, what's the sweet stuff that got you? What got you over the line? I think the journey of the Jay character <laughs> becoming a father. I thought really mm. was so lovely and like it was thoughtful. It was kind. There's so much mm. of Kevin in there, and I, I have to keep going back to that ca chasing Amy scene with Ben Affleck. I think that was as rewarding as Kevin's writing has ever been. Uh, to yeah. go back to that, in fact, it made me just wish that he just made a chasing Amy sequel rather huh, than that's than just what I was about to say. Here. That's mm. kind of what I wish. Uh, happened because the cartoony like comedy of this movie didn't really land for me at all. It almost felt like what it is, which is a guy in his fifties recreating the comedy that he made in his twenties. And it mm -hmm. sort of just ugh, made me go like, Oh God, that's coming for all of us. Like yeah. I'll be fucking maybe. I mean, my big fear is that you and I in our late fifties decide to do another season of um, Mike check or something. <laughs> like <that. laughs> They're like, let's do it again, baby. Yeah, yeah we're going like, back. Oh, please, please don't do that. That's kind of what it felt a bit like, and it made me feel awkward. But I did think, fuck, man, like Chasing Amy was a dramatic comedy, mm. and if he has access to these stars and can write some of the supposed wrongs of that 
movie or revisit the story, tie up some like culturally, like some moments that have changed culturally. Why not just like spend the time making a Chasing Amy sequel? I would watch mm -hmm. that. I'm sure there's an audience of people that would watch it. And if you can, you have access to these actors who are pretty great at doing drama, mm. like fucking why not do a little more of that? I'd love to see Ben being directed by Kevin in like a, in a sort of more dramatic role again. I'd be mm. fucking into that. Yeah, I think so. And I, I do think he could pull it off because I don't think he's lost the sentimentality. It's aged a little bit. Perhaps at times it can be a little too honest or too earnest or raw, but mm. it never it doesn't always leave a distaste in my mouth. I, I quite I really I, I connect with the sentimentality of these things again. And I think mm. with Clerks 3, that's probably at its strongest and its strangest. Right. Are we doing this? We're doing Clerks 3? Mm. Clerks 3, okay. the third and perhaps final in the Clerks trilogy. I mean, I don't know how you could make a sequel to Clerks directly now. Um, I know. But there's Jesus. one thing that happens in Kevin's life that is permeates through this film, which is Kevin mm. Smith survives a massive heart attack. Uh, one of those yeah. heart attacks known as the Widowmaker, where there is basically a freaking 10% chance of surviving it. He survives it, and I guess it is what fuels this movie because in this film, the two characters, Randall and Dante, both have the exact same heart attack that Kevin has. Yeah. Now, look, if I have one criticism of this movie, and I do and you're only, allowed only one. have one. You're only allowed one. <laughs> Yeah, it's that both characters are now a stand-in for Kev. So, in I'd say like one thing that I loved about the first two Clerks movies is that kind of like Dante is the Kevin stand-in. He's like the restless dreamer who feels like he doesn't belong at the at the quick stop or at movies. He longs for more. He longs for romance. He loses himself in like the in the like Star Wars franchise or mm -hmm. whatever because that's that's like a world that he can escape to. And Randall is like just the little devil on his shoulder that's encouraging him and you know and telling him that you know like kind of making fun of him, but in a way, kind of saying like, yeah, you can do more than this. You you are better than this, and I'll come along with you for the ride. And I like that dynamic, but this time around, I mean, I think it's nice that we get a little more drama out of Randall because I do think he's a bit of uh, Jeff Anderson's like a bit of a untapped resource mm. for like good acting. But it is a bit strange to me that at this point in the franchise, Kevin decides to almost switch up who the lead is of this movie and who he's going to pour himself into. Mm. Um, so that would be my one. It's almost like he splits himself into two between these two characters and uh, it, it made it a little unfocused for me. I mean, going so far as to give both, make both characters have a fucking Widowmaker heart attack is almost insane. That's a <laughs> fucking insane choice. Yeah, it is. It's a lot. <laughs> Uh, but I agree with you. I think Jeff Anderson is actually quite a good actor and I think getting him to... Like giving him more stuff to like sink his teeth into 
that works for me. The greatest special effect of all time I've heard you say, so I'm quoting you directly, is just seeing aging on film. And when the film opens and you see these two guys, Dante and Randall, at the quick stop counter again, and they're just old now. That's powerful. Mm. That's cinematic. Mm. But I think where it kind of loses its cinema is that Clerks is alchemy. There is this like shoddy black and white cinematography Mm. captured with some authenticity and this really neat ear for dialogue. And together they create something that is far beyond the sum of its parts. It creates something really powerful and cinematic. And then coming to Clerks 3, it's shot on hideous digital. The lighting is horrible. Everything looks bad Mm. and clumsy, worse than like a multicam sitcom. And then you have these moments where what they're doing in this film is Randall is making clerks. Silent Bob is shooting clerks. It is the making of the original film. And then you see these Mm. either moments of the original film or this Mm. new film that they're shooting, recreations in black and white. And every time you see those, you go, why didn't they shoot this in black and white? It looks (laughs) almost beautiful again. I know, but I don't think they could because I got to tell you, like the best thing about this movie is, I like I'm still at the end of the day a sucker for this type of shit, which is mm. like, hey, it's been over twenty years, and I'm going to make a meta film about the original film, and I'm mm. going to recreate moments of it with the cast that are now older, almost shot for shot, almost storyboarded identic- identically. Um, like that draws me in so much. I'm so sentimental that the idea of watching the, like, these guys recreate their past is beautiful to me mm. in the same way that I teared up in uh, any time in the Jackass movies when they're older mm. and they recreate a stunt they did when they were 20. <laughs> like watching Steve-O get kicked in the balls when he's 20 and then 50 makes me fucking like get a tear in my eye of like, mm-hmm. God, it's so beautiful to watch someone get in touch with their youth. Um, I feel the same way about this. I enjoy the fact that the moments where it goes black and white are like recreating the past. I think if the whole movie was black and white, it would take that power away. The only... The only alternative I can think of is if reality is black and white, but when they're shooting the film, it's color or something, Mm. or it's like a different um, aspect ratio or something like that. I can't, I don't know how they would achieve what they're going for there. And then, of course, you have like the fact that the movie becomes black and white uh, at a certain point, like from from the end. Um, And I don't know if we're allowed to spoil, I mean, the movie did come out, what was it over a year ago? Or you like yeah, to spoil what happened? It came out last year. It is on Netflix and it streams on 4K in Netflix in Australia if you want to watch it. And I, yeah, if you're listening to this, you probably have a relationship to Kevin in some way. It's, mm. I think it's worth watching. I got a lot out of watching it. I don't, mm-hmm. I, I think it is worth watching because it is a bizarre movie. It, yeah. Uh, and bizarre. by the end, I was tearing up, of course. Because, because man, it's the tonal whiplash that's mm-hmm. going on because you've got, I think, maybe one of the shittiest comedy set pieces that Kevin's ever done, which is the audition sequence for mm-hmm. the movie within a movie that he's making yes. where you get a bunch of stars like um, Sarah Michelle Gellar and 
Freddie Prince Jr. and like whoever else is ben doing Affleck, it. Ben Affleck, Bobby Moynihan. Yeah. The Impractical Jokers, for goodness sake. Impractical Jokers. Fred Armisen are all auditioning <laughs> to play roles in Clerks, the movie within the movie, um, which is like an idea that appeals to me on paper but in practice is just incredibly lazy. Obviously, stuff that they just shot in bits and pieces over the years mm-hmm. while they could get five seconds with an actor. Um it doesn't add anything to the story. So there's that, like, lame shit. And then there's, it's completely, like, completely juxtaposed within seconds later by some of the most, like, maybe overwrought, dramatic, maudlin moments that Kev's ever captured, for sure. Like, there's fucking a lot of death in this movie. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of communing with spirits. Um there's like Rosario Dawson's fucking. Oh, I mean, we, we just got to oh, talk about it. Rosario Dawson's character is killed in a car accident like months after Clerks 2 ends with oh. the unborn child within her. They both die. It's like, mm. what the? Like, that's yeah, so why? dark. That's it's so, so dark. dark. And so then, dark. like, to not even, to not even, like, Kev, you're in charge of this universe. You can say it happened years later if you want mm. like you can give dante a few happy years but instead you give him like two happy months his wife and unborn child die and then the movie begins with dante however many years later it is 10 plus and he's so depressed but he can sort of every now and then see the ghost of rosario dawson if that's what you want to call mm-hmm. it and have a chat to her um and, and cry and it's like genuine dramatic acting it's not played for laughs it's this is <sighs> this is drama it's so dark and you're just kind of like man you got rosario dawson you don't need to make her a ghost mm. she's here you yeah. don't have to like make her yeah. killed off she's in the movie <laughs> and i think the climax of the movie is so bizarre mm. yet in a way, I found it quite powerful because it mm. almost feels like the it, it feels like an epitaph. This movie, the way that it ends, where he gives the Dante character the heart attack that he survived, the Widowmaker. Mm. This time, mm. he does not survive it. He gets taken up mm. to heaven, and what is heaven? It's a cinema up in the sky that is playing Clerks One and Clerks Two. And yeah. then Rosario Dawson comes in and joins him. Oh, they watch it together. Gosh. And it's like. I'm getting, I'm actually feeling myself get emotional. Even just and it's weird because it. it's powerful. And I feel, it's so I feel weird. powerful saying it, but I also feel sick saying it. Like it's this really it's weird crazy. mix where it's, it's like. It's fucking insane. <laughs> it's just like, it is powerful. It's emotional. It's so sentimental. It's so honest and earnest and heart pouring. But I feel sick talking about it at the same yeah. time. Where it's, truly, like, it's truly crazy. Like and I'm glad he did it. I'm so glad too. he did it. Me too, me too. I remember watching it and I uh, messaged you mm-hmm. and a couple of other mates that were in a thread. Um, I was just like, hey, guys, I just watched Clerks 3. Like, you just have to watch it. I can't <laughs> explain it. I can't explain what's going to happen in this movie, but you simply must watch it because mm-hmm. it fully goes there. Like, it's, it's, it is his most emotional film and it's i cried i'm happy to admit that and i was there was a part of me that was like why am i crying this is crazy like i'm watching clerks three 
and Dante is dying and going to heaven and heaven is watching Clerks 1 and Clerks 2. This is fucking mental. God. But it was kind of emotional and it was like this guy's looking back on his life and he's seeing all the good times that he had. He thought he didn't achieve anything, but when you look back on it, what he achieved was worthy of two films. Like it was mm-hmm. the, these moments, these nice oh. little moments and these funny scenarios that he found himself in with his best friend and the girl that he loved. And oh God, guys, the movie ends with Dante dying. I'm going to cry. You're, the way that you're talking about it, I'm going to cry. It what was would, crazy to me. Would you, what would you do if you get to heaven and it is a cinema that plays cloaks one, two, and three? Would you be, <laughs> <laughs> what would you do? I'd be like, I wasn't supposed to be here today, guys. <laughs> get me back to earth. <laughs> I need to get back down to earth, please. But I don't know. I think Clerks 3, it's a must-watch movie. That's all I can say. Mm. It's a must-watch movie. Mm. And I remember I put it on like a day where I was working from home. I was like, I just need a little bit of background noise. Just came on Netflix. Mm. Let's put it on. And I kept on getting distracted. Like I had to keep watching the movie. And I think the constant of the movie is that it's it's sad it's a sad movie mm-hmm. and it kind of alternates between feeling cute and feeling misguided but mm. and kind of like the how and the why of the sadness i guess but mm. it's sad it's warm it's weird and i remember by the end i was texting you probably the exact same group chat like i just watched clock mm. three this is crazy movie <laughs> And then go back to my work, the credits mm. roll. A few minutes into mm. credits, what do I hear? His voice. Yeah. He speaks yeah. over the credits like a podcast. Hey, guys, Kevin Smith here. Just want to say thank you to all of you for supporting me for the last 30 years. And I was just like, um, wow, that's a huge choice. Yeah. That's like huge. honestly, every director should end their movie by doing that. I think, I think it's. Game I think it would be so nice if you watch a film, you watch Jurassic Park or whatever, yeah. and the credits roll, and Steven Spielberg's like, "Thanks for watching this movie about dinosaurs. I uh, love making this movie. It was really cool to to make the dinosaurs come to life." And, and my just tell thanks to my cast. <laughs> Thank you, Jeff Goldblum. I loved working with you. I hope we get to make another movie together. I smell a sequel. yeah it's it's wild i mean like the final shot of clerks three um which you know like obviously we've discussed spoilers dante has passed away randall is taking over the quick stop and uh he's standing alone at the register and then when it cuts to the wide shot dante is next to him like a like a spirit, I guess. Like, like a the force spirit ghost, of Return man. of the Jedi. Almost like a force ghost. And there, it's a recreation of the shot from the opening of Clerks 1 and the end of Clerks 2. And I actually find that incredibly beautiful. Mm. Like that was nice to me. That almost that shot and that little reveal almost justified. I think it did justify it all to me a little bit. Mm. It made me go, well, this is actually quite sweet. This is it, a this is a nice little movie. It's a singular movie. I, I watched this mm. month ago. Oh my god! I just looked up when I watched it. March thirtieth, twenty twenty three. 
I've not stopped thinking about it this whole year. I've <laughs> not stopped. Ago. I can't stop thinking about it. I've been thinking about it all <laughs> fucking year long. I'm never a few seconds away from thinking about Clerks 3. I've met people. I met this um this film critic and screenwriter, Nick Pinkerton, at Melbourne Film Festival. And the first thing I said to him when we met was like, man, I loved your Clerks 3 review. And then we talked about Clerks 3 for like three fucking 40 minutes because we're just mm-hmm. like I can't stop thinking about this movie it's a must watch movie that's all I can say is like he's made some great films I don't know if this is one of them but this is a must watch movie for all K, K- Smith heads I think it's yeah. fucking crazy and I think I, I mean I'm months down the line I think I've come, finally come to terms I love Clerks 3 <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I'm similar to you, man. It's it's of this current era of like the third act, Kevin Smith. It's my mm-hmm. favorite one for sure, and I do think it's insane. But that's not a bad thing. Like, I think I really enjoyed myself with it, and I was surprised by how deep he was willing to go. And I I got to tell you, the reason I watched it is because he, when he was on the promo tour, like plugging this movie. I wasn't keen at first when it was announced, Clerks 3, because it had been such an up-and-down, tumultuous production. This this thing had been happening and then it wasn't happening and then it was for probably like the last seven years or so. Um, But when he went on the promo circuit, he appeared on Vulture's Good One podcast Mm. with Jesse David Fox where they discussed one scene from each Clerks movie Mm. and hearing Kevin talk about one scene from each of these movies made a decade or so apart really was the thing that got me over the line. I think at the end of the day, this is going to come back to what we talked about in maybe episode one. Kevin is a fucking raconteur and it's his ability to talk to people that gets things over the line. I'm sure that's what's helped him many pitch meetings. Mm -hmm. It's definitely helped him commune with his fans over the years and with those weird stand-up Q&A specials that he put out, it's the reason why he's doing a podcast on the end credits of Clerks 3. I think his superpower is his ability to discuss things with you and make you give a shit about the things mm-hmm. that he's making. And that's, I think that's why I can never fully, I can never leave Kevin. I'll always be, I'll always be around. I'll always be checking in with what he's doing because... He talks to me. He talks mm-hmm. to all of us. Oh, that's so We need to talk Cameron. about him, but he talks to us. <laughs> I think we will always need to talk about Kevin Smith. I mm. look forward to what the next phase of his career will be because I think Clerks 3... Uh, do you know what's really weird? And we're talking about this late period of his career is that I think of it as a late period. The guy's only 50. That's usually when directors start going into like the second phase of their career. Or it's, Mm -hmm. you know, that's when like fucking Scorsese's making Goodfellas and Casino, where they finally Mm. figure out entirely what they can do and what they're capable of. What is Kevin Smith capable of in the future? Like, but this feels like late period. Like, Cloaks is the most fucking haunted movie i've ever seen I, I mean maybe this is the midpoint isn't that exciting to think about like if you look at his alleged slate of what's coming up mm-hmm. he's been threatening <laughs> to put out <laughs> more rats 2 for the last decade mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. 
I don't know if I need that. I think like to me, Clerks 3 is almost a full stop on the end of the viewer skew universe. Mm-hmm. And if if I was Kevin, I'd be re-looking at what I did with Red State, Tusk, um, mm-hmm. maybe even Jersey Girl, you know, and, and Zach and Miri. Yeah. And I'd be trying to branch out into something a little bit new. But, you know, reusing the tools that you've learned over the last two or three decades. I would love to see him do TV. Yeah, well, he's been saying more rats is going to be a TV series, so you might. Well, that not way. that. I don't want him to do that. <laughs> 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 what kind of TV would you watch? Oh God, I don't know. Tusk the TV show or something. I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know. When I say I want him to do TV, you know what? I would love to see him do like a show like How I Met Your Mother or something. Oh fuck! Like That's just like, cool. like a sitcom, a sitcom with some sentimentality to it. Or um, mm. I, I guess he's friends with like that Garcia universe of like uh, My Name Is Earl and Raising Hope. Mm. Like I think he could do something like that, co-create it with maybe that guy. Um, mm. and do I don't know? I think that the tonal whiplash that he embodies is actually weirdly suited to the TV format. Yeah, yeah, totally. You're 100% right. Also, he's. I'm looking at his IMDb now. He has directed a fair bit of TV over the years as well. He directed a bunch of The Goldbergs, which is a Happy Madison show. Wow, yeah, okay. I like The Goldbergs. Okay, good on you, Kevin. I think uh, maybe that's it. Or it'd be awesome to see him just do like a dogma film. And I don't mean... The one that he already made. I mean, Dogma 95. In Dogma 95? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I need that from him. <laughs> oh, man. Well, look, we had to talk about Kevin, and we did. We did for three entire episodes. Mm-hmm. And it's been a pleasure. This last period of his his career will fascinate me forever. I, I will never not be interested in what... He has been doing what weirdness it is. I'm glad I finally jumped in because I'd ignored it for a long time. Um, mm-hmm. It's weird. It's wild. There's some rewards there, but it's it's uneven. Wild stuff. Weird, wild stuff. Oh, I'd love to see him host weird. the Tonight Show one day. Take over the Fallon. <laughs> take over the throne after Fallon leaves. But that's been Kevin, and this is been Kevin. Our last episode for the year. It's a bit of a Christmas mm-hmm. treat for you guys. We're going to take the holidays yep. off and we'll come back with some fucking weird shit at the start of next year. Hopefully, Kevin Smith makes five movies over this little. So <laughs> we've got another episode lined up. Yeah, unfortunately, this is it for the year for us, guys. We've mm-hmm. both got a lot on over the next couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll be back. Very excited to come back. Um, is there anything you'd like to plug, Alexi, that people can check out during a little time off? Yes, definitely check out my beautiful new podcast, Sunburnt Screens, about Australian cinema. I'm journeying through Aussie film in a way that I've wanted to do forever. And it's basically like an audio documentary journey uh, where I take you through different eras, different phases, different filmmakers' works. Uh, The first four episodes are out right now. We're taking a mid-season hiatus, coming back at the start of next year. I'll give you a tease of what's happening next year. Uh, I've got two big filmmaker focus episodes with two of the all-timers, Gillian Armstrong 
and Rolf mm. Tahir. Big career Dude. retrospective episodes on both of those filmmakers. I sat down with them for fucking ages. They were so generous with me. And they're just people I've admired forever. And it was a real privilege to get to chat to them. And you can always find more movies related to that podcast. And heaps of great Australian cinema, cult movies, classics, interesting stuff on brolly.com.au, the new free streaming service that I'm making this podcast with and for. And I even curate like little carousels little film festivals based around each podcast on there so it's a great way to go deep on australian film and cameron you're touring at the moment and you've got your new show mm -hmm. building up for next year as well that's right people can get tickets to see me next year with my new show mixtape i'll be in perth adelaide canberra melbourne brisbane sydney and more to be announced you can go to livenation.com.au to get those tickets I'm very excited about the new show. I think it's yeah. going to be a fucking blast. I've got a lot of funny songs and some funny stories. And there's much like Kevin, there's a little bit of sweetness in there as well mm -hmm. for you. And um, during the show, the Cameron and I both die of the same heart attack. <laughs> yeah, we do. We do. And heaven, as it turns out, <laughs> is just watching the final 10 minutes of the show. Um, <laughs> can I also plug if anyone is in Sydney on January 12th, and you want to watch me do a trial version of mixtape. So it might be a little longer, a little mm. uncut, like the South Park movie. Um, <laughs> you can come to, you can come to uh, Kinsailers. Uh, I'll be doing a trial version of that show, January 12, 8.30. And Newcastle, the following weekend, January 20, I'm doing a trial again. Oh, sorry, January 21. I'm doing a trial again of the Newcastle Comedy Club. Um, so if you're in Sydney or Newey, come and check out those trial shows. Wow. And um, see the shit that will hit the cutting room floor, I'm sure. Oh, that's gorgeous. Mm. Well, hey. thanks. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank thank you, you so much for joining us, guys. We love you. We love hanging out in those ears of yours and mm -hmm. we'll be back with some more smodcasts at the start of next year oh i mean podcasts have a merry christmas everybody and a happy new year and a happy few beers oh i hope you all have a few beers and i pray they are happy but love you guys thank you so much and cameron i love you too mate i love you too my friend and now we're going up to heaven <laughs> <laughs> to watch a couple of movies with Rosario Dawson. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.